help us to have open hearts and open ears, Lord, to hear from you. And Lord, help us to turn our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our thoughts, Lord, on you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you again for being in your presence. Amen. Well, the, the little crowd seated around the pool, you'll have to wait for another 15 minutes. Uh, but before I start, could I have uh, Andrew and Grace uh, read uh, a portion, two portions from the Word of God and... First Andrew, Luke chapter 13. As you know, we are going through the, the book of Luke. So Andrew would read Luke 13 from verses 1 to uh, 9 and Grace from 10 to 21. Present at that season, some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things. I'll tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Salem fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I, feel, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had, fig, had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the key, keeper of his vineyard, Look for three years. I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And it, if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are lo loosed from your infirmity. And he lay his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd there are six days on which men ought to work therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day the Lord went the Lord then oh, the Lord then answered him and said hypocrite does not does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has won, think of it for eighteen years be loose from the bond, bond of the bond of the Sabbath, and when he said these things, 
All his advisers were put to shame, and all of the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then he said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden and grew it and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken to the kingdom of God? What it is like leaven which a woman took and hid there three in three measures of meal of meal till it was all leavened. Uh, so thank you, uh, Andrew and, and Grace. I'll just read a couple of more verses uh, from verse 22. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there a few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When the master of the house has risen, and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from, so depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Well, I was asked to... Uh, to teach uh, in, uh, from this chapter, chapter 13, and somehow another connected to baptism. And I was also told to finish in 15 minutes, so it's a tall ask. Right? Uh, but if you read through chapter 13, something very interesting comes here, comes from this particular chapter. So Because two incidents are mentioned in Luke chapter 13, uh, and that's found in the first uh, two verses, two little incidents, sorry, the first three verses. First, it's a story of the Galileans that Pilate killed while they were sacrificing at the temple. Now, when you look through the historical records, there are no historical records of this event, right? But that doesn't mean that this event did not take place. What happened was some of the Galileans had come to Jerusalem and worshipped at the temple, and whilst they were worshipping, and offering their sacrifice, Pilate brutally killed them. Now, the brutality of Pilate actually is quite well known in history. Right? And Pilate, if you recognize who he was, he, quite, he disliked the Galileans. The reason was because they came under the jurisdiction of his arch enemy, the Herod. Right? Herod uh, uh, you know, was the governor and the ruler of, of, the, of the regions of Galilee. And Herod was... Pilate's arch enemy, so he did not like the Galileans. Another incident is mentioned here, and that comes uh, to us uh, in verse 3, sorry, verse 2, where the Lord said, the Lord mentioned about 18 who were killed uh, when the Tower of Siloam, that is near Jerusalem, fell on top of them. Now here again, there are no historical records of this event, but as far as I'm concerned, because the Lord mentioned it, it probably took place, where 18 were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on top of them. Now, the biased interpretation of people is this. 
they would have thought that such disasters happened to people who did wicked deeds, worthy of such types of death. Right? And that is why the Lord said to these people, to his disciples in verse 4, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Do you think because of their wickedness and they were worse sinners that this type of disaster happened to such people? Now let me tell you, let us be very, very careful not to make such types of, I would say, rash interpretation of events. I can still remember in uh, 2004, December, on the 24th, Cleon and, and myself and our family, we were in Australia, and we switched on the TV in the morning and listened to the Boxing Day tsunami that happened. Do you recognize that? In 2004, December, over 230,000 people, quarter of a million people died, right, just within a couple of hours. Now, I can still remember the aftermath of the Boxing Day tsunami. Amongst the Christian circles, there was this insinuation and there was this talk that this was God's judgment on the Muslims, the Hindus, and the Buddhists, right? Because the majority of the people killed were Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists. And that was the discussions amongst the Christian circle. In June of this year, what happened? 49 people were gunned down in a gay club, a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida. There again, I have heard many in the Christian circle discussing that this was God's judgment on the gay community. Right? So let me tell you, let us not make such rash interpretation of events. God does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Do you know that? That's what the Bible says. God does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. He gives people every opportunity to come to know him. And that's what God is. How do we know that? Well, the Lord himself spoke of the parable of the fruitless tree. Right? In the verses that uh, Grace read, uh, that uh, Andrew led to us, from verses 6 to 9, the parable of the tree, fruit tree that did not bear any fruit. And in verses 6 to 9, God explains and talks of his patience and of his long suffering. For three long years, what did God do? He sent his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to minister to the people of Israel. And that's what the Lord did. He preached the word of God. He performed miracles. He pointed the nation of Israel to the God of Israel. That's, that's his father. But yet, what happened to them? They rejected him. And the Lord asks for more time, just one more year, to give more opportunity for the people to come to accept him as their savior. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's what God is. And God extends the same long-suffering. God extends the same patience to the world today. Until our dying breath, our names are recorded in the book of life. Now remember this. Some of you might not agree with me, but this is what happens. Until our dying breath, our names are there in the book of life. We are only blotted out when we die, rejecting the Lord as our Savior. Right? If we die, like the Galileans, 
Like those 18 people, you know, who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, we will all likewise perish, says the Lord. Death comes upon us immediately, suddenly, sometimes when we least expect. And that, if that happens, just like what happened to the people, the Galileans and those 18 who died, just like them, our names will be eternally blotted out of the book of life if we die rejecting Christ as our Savior. Now, unfortunately, not many in this world acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Bible says, narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. And only few would find it. Why should this be the case? Why? Well, surprisingly, the answer the Lord gives in verses 10 to 21. And that's what uh, Grace read, verses 10 to 21. Not everyone, not everyone will confess him as their Lord. Not everyone would be saved. Why? Because narrow is the gate. Now let us consider the parable of the mustard seed that we read from verses 18 to 19. The Lord likened the kingdom of God to an unnatural mustard plant. Now this is a very unnatural mustard plant. Why? Why is it unnatural? Well, because the mustard plant will never ever grow right, to a huge tree that is said in this parable where every kind of birds will nest under its branch. Now, that is unnatural. For me and for many who uh, interpret these verses, it's a picture of Christendom today. It's a picture of the kingdom of God today. It has grown to be quite large. There are millions of people in this world, I would say even billions of people in this world, who call themselves Christians or cultural Christians. Apostasy and wrong doctrine or doctrine of every conceivable kind is found in Christendom today. Just like all types of birds nesting in its branch. It's quite unnatural. We have so-called church leaders peddling a different kind of gospel. Now, just recently, someone told me that the Pope kissed the Quran. You know that? Right? The Pope kissed the Quran. And the Pope stated that the church has to seek forgiveness from homosexuals. Right? Every kind of doctrine, every perverse types of doctrine is peddled around in the church today. Even, even to the extent that even the very elect People who are true believers could be led astray from such types of false teaching. So false teachers are quite common. Right? The scripture says here that they infiltrate the church, creeping into the church sometimes quite unawares. And the Lord likened this to leaven that is introduced into three measures of meal. Now, If you recognize what these three measures of meal is, if you remember when uh, uh, just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord and his angels came to visit Abraham. And what did Abraham do? Abraham invited them to have fellowship with him. And he made for them three measures of meal. So it's a, it's a picture of fellowship. Right? And these false teachers and false doctrines creep into the fellowship of the church quite unawares, bringing all, sides of all types of doctrines, all types of apostasy that, apostasy that we find in Christendom today. So with these types of apostasies, with these types of false doctrine, so-called Christians, I would refer to them as cultural Christians, are lulled into a false understanding of the Bible and the Lord. So what do they do? Large majority of them will walk unawares, quite unawares. And they walk along the broad road that leads to 
to destruction. They have been misled by church leaders who substitute the faith that you need in the resurrected Savior with rituals and practices and all type of dogmas that we see today. And in verses 10 to 16, we read of an incident where the church leader, a leader of the synagogue, was upset because the Lord healed on the Sabbath day. Rather than recognizing a wonderful miracle that took place, rather than recognizing the Savior who healed someone who had deformity for 18 years, they were upset that uh, the Lord healed on the Sabbath day. They, it, they broke a ritual. They broke a, 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 a practice that was quite prevalent amongst the Jews at that time. And that's the same thing that happens today. Christendom or Christianity is so steep with rituals and practices and all sorts of things that people find comfort in them. And they walk the broad road to destruction. Unfortunately, as you see the scriptures, when the window of opportunity to accept the Lord as your own Savior closes, no membership in the church, no religious observations of rituals and practices, nothing of that sort will do you any good. And verses 25 to 26 says, But once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and keep on knocking at the door and saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer and say to you, I do not know you. So broad is the way and many walk that path. But narrow is the way that leads to salvation. So therefore the question is, how do we avoid the Lord saying, sorry, I do not know you? How do we enter through the narrow gate? For me, the baptism of Ashley today illustrates someone who has entered through the narrow gate. Right? And that's what baptism is an illustration, an illustration of that. When Ashley is immersed in the water, which is very soon, not only will she get wet totally, right, but it also symbolizes her being buried with Christ in his death. And that's what baptism is. For the sins that we have committed, we know that the penalty is death because the Bible says that for the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. But Christ died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. Where we should have died, he died in our stead. He took the penalty of death upon himself. So when we come to realize this and when we come to accept the sacrifice that our Lord made for us on the cross, the scripture says that we also die to our sinful nature. So the immersion into the water symbolizes the death of self to sinful nature. Well, hopefully, um, Ross will pull Ashley out of the water. So don't keep her too long there, uh, Ross. So when Ashley is brought out of the water, what does it symbolize? Well, it symbolizes that Christ rose again from the dead. Just as he did that, we too have now risen to a new nature in Christ. Right? And that's the experience of being born again, so beautifully symbolized by water baptism. Now, let me tell you, there's nothing too mysterious, nothing too difficult about this. By simply recognizing that we are sinners, that Christ died for us on the cross, that Christ our Lord paid the penalty for our sin, that through faith and receiving him into our lives, we have a new nature in Christ we have entered this narrow gate. And the beautiful thing about this is that this salvation, this narrow gate is open to everyone. 
to people of different languages and cultures. And that is why in verse 29, this is what the Lord says, they will come, who? Believers. From where? From the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. I believers from all tribes and cultures will come and sit down at the kingdom of God. So this salvation, this narrow gate is open to anyone. And the water baptism symbolizes this so beautifully. Now one thing that we have to recognize is this, that once we have entered through this narrow gate, it does not mean that life is victorious from here on. It does not mean that life is so simple and everyone walks uh, on, on cloud nine and on bed of roses. Nope. Although we have a new nature in Christ, we still battle the body of sin because we still inhabit our flesh. We still battle the body of sin. So much so that this tension was even felt by Apostle Paul. Right? He calls himself such a wretched man because of the tension that he found in battling the body of sin. So actually, wherever you are, there you are. As you continue your walk in the Lord, remember the constant battle that you face in your Christian walk, in your Christian life. Right? But the beautiful thing of this is that we have a new nature in Christ. And I like to quote back to you the favorite verse. And I can remember asking Ashley, Ashley, what is your favorite verse? And this is what she said. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he, nobody else, and he will direct your path. Right? So that's one encouragement to you. Ashley, that the Lord will direct your path. Although the Christian walk is going to be a difficult walk, it's going to be a constant battle with your own nature, yet the Lord said that he will direct your path. And finally, before I end, a hope. All of us who have entered through the narrow gate, right, symbolized so well uh, through the, by the waters of baptism, we have a wonderful hope. And this is what the Lord said. In verse 36, he said, See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, there is a whole heap of things to be said here, right? This is a prophecy that is mentioned where the second coming of the Lord would take place only, and only when Israel as a nation would acknowledge him as their Messiah, and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm not going to dwell into that. But this verse also reminds me, as what Kanda said, of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that as believers who have entered through the narrow gate, we have this wonderful hope. The Lord has not left us alone. The Lord is with us, but he will also come for us. And we live with his hope. And as Kanda says, this hope purifies us. Right. This hope enables us in our walk with him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful time that you have given us. Father, for reminding us once again, for those of us who have entered into the, through the narrow gate, the new nature that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father God, the blessed hope that we have, that one day we will be with you. So we pray, O Lord, and commit Ashley and bring her before your very presence, asking, O Lord God, that you will guide her and lead her in every way. Father God, that you will walk with her in every step of the way as the scripture promises and says. And Father God, we pray that Ashley would not only live a victorious life, 
but a life of tremendous witness and testimony to her family, to her friends, wherever she is. So, Father God, we thank you for this step of obedience that she has taken. So we commit this time once again into your hands, asking that the Savior is precious in his worthy and matchless name. Amen. Thank you.